Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This podcast has not been sanctioned. The battleground was Monday nights. 80. For a campaign of 83 consecutive weeks. 3. There was a clear winner. This is Dork War. Weeks. This is the story of that campaign. 83 weeks. 20 years later, the time has come the whole truth. For the whole truth. This is 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, well, I guess we should circle back to last week. I got tons of great feedback about our Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff episode. What were you hearing on your side of the fence, Eric? Yeah, I, I got a lot of a, a lot of great uh, responses as well. I, it, it made me feel good because, you know, a lot of times it's kind of 50-50. You know, the audience will either agree with what I have to say or they'll strongly disagree with what I have to say, which is fine. I'm good with that. You know, I appreciate all of the feedback. But I think... This was a little different type of a show that we did last week. And, you know, as you always do, you you force me to dig in a little deeper than I normally do or most people that interview normally do. And I think by digging in as deep as we did, um, we, we got into subject matter and details behind that subject matter that, you know, I know I've never talked about before. And I had one really good interview with you when you were doing Ric Flair's podcast. And, you know, we, we got in pretty deep, but not as deep as we did last week. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity and I'm glad fans enjoyed it. And we got lots of follow-up questions. Hey, what about the, the fight backstage at WWE? Hey, what about the time, you know, Flair got his head shaved? Hey, what about Starcade? Oh, we're still covering all of that. We wanted to just tell the story sort of behind the scenes up until Flair returned to Nitro, which just passed the 20 year mark. We're, we've still got lots more meat on the bone, as they say, in this Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff story. So stay tuned for more of that. We're going to do something a little more lighthearted this week. Last week was lots of serious, uh, oh my gosh, what were you thinking? And what a deep personal issue this was. And we're filled with regret and sort of second guessing some decisions. And it just wasn't all roses. But today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to examine a nitro where you weren't there and not just any old nitro. This one goes down a couple of months after you've left in the year 2000 and behind the wheel of WCW sort of captaining the ship is Mr. Vince Russo. And this episode in particular is from September 25th, 2000. And I want to encourage you to fire up the WWE network and watch along with us. Now we're going to describe what Eric is seeing and how Eric's reacting to it. This is going to be a much better experience if you can watch along with us, but it's still going to be a barrel of laughs, even if you can't. And why will we be laughing? Well, it's a pretty controversial episode. Vince Russo wins the world title. I can't believe that's a real sentence, but it happened and it happened on September 25th, 2000. And I guess tomorrow will be the anniversary of that. So if you haven't already fire up your WWE network, it's nitro number 262. You're going to let the little uh, rating thing play ahead of you. And then right when the, the show is ready to start, you're going to press play. So you'll be at triple zeros 
and then we'll do a quick countdown and press play and get going. Eric, before we get started here, have you seen this show recently? Did you watch it before we're about to watch it right now? Yeah, I did. I, I'm not going to um, bullshit you on that. I, I had to because I know we're going to cover a lot of this, and I didn't watch it when it actually happened. But before we go any further, and I know it's going to be a lighthearted show, and I, I know we're going to have fun with this. And, and fortunately, you know, I get to do what everybody else does you know, now and just sit back and criticize somebody else's work. And I don't normally do that, but in this case, I'm going to take particular fucking delight in the process. But I would also like to make one major apology, maybe two. I want to apologize right now to Jamie Kellner. I want to apologize for criticizing his decision to tank the deal that we had in place uh, to keep Nitro on the Turner Networks when I put the deal together with Fusion and purchased WCW for $67 million. I want to apologize on behalf of a lot of other people. You know, a lot of people like Bob Ryder and a couple others accused Brad Siegel of conspiring with a former friend of his, a roommate in, of his uh, in college and kind of orchestrating a sabotage of, of WCW and preventing the purchase um, between myself and Fusion Media of WCW. I want to apologize to Brad Siegel, and I'm going to tell you why I'm making those apologies at the end of this clusterfuck. So let's go ahead and fire up the WWE Network. We're going to press play in three, two, one, play. And we see the, um, the signature open that we all saw at the end of WCW's run with the new logo. We've talked about this logo briefly before, and this is one of those where you said you sort of just left it up. Yeah, it, it looks folks. like a cat's sphincter. <laughs> it it was created by Jay Hassman, and uh, you know I went with it. My bad, but it does look like a cat's asshole, in my opinion. So, what do you think of uh, Vince Russo in the ring here? And it, this is a recap of what's been going down in the most recent weeks on Raw, or I'm sorry, on Nitro and Thunder. And you see that Vince Russo actually got a pinfall win over Scott Steiner, and he was saying that his lifelong dream was to be the WCW world champion and unbelievably now in a ring full of superstars, Kevin Nash, Booker T Goldberg, et cetera, et cetera. He says he's challenging Booker T for the world title. And it's happening here tonight in long Island. Yeah. Let's in, you know, this is a quick, you know, intro and it's a, it's a decent hot open from a technical point of view. Um, very fast moving, fast paced, lots of action, but immediately one of the things that I took away is just how hard they're, they're um, patronizing the New York audience. And I think this is one of those situations where, yeah, you always want to take advantage of the market you're in and put it over to your, to the live audience. But you know, the rest of the country didn't give two shits about New York. The only person that really did was Vince Russo. So it was, it was pretty obvious you know, where the show was going to go and how Vince was going to try to get himself over. As we see Vince Russo and Jeremy Borash um, coming out of the limo, they're making their way to the entrance and they're doing their best to try to make Vince look like a legitimate contender, which, you know, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But there is no logic in the storytelling behind this, none whatsoever. It was interesting to see Jeremy Borash on camera. I guess I had just sort of blocked that out. I remember him as the WCW.com guy or the WCWWrestling.com guy. And of course, I think everybody at this point probably knows Jeremy more for his TNA contributions than WCW. 
but him being on camera sort of as a second for Vince Russo, I guess I just blocked that out, but he's all over this show. There's a reason you blocked it out. Yeah, probably Subcon- so. subconsciously. You're trying to protect your sanity. That's what that is. This is an interesting, uh, time in WCW because I guess when I just sort of look back with hindsight, I forget they even had this set. I always, I, in my head and my memory, remember that they had the giant WCW logo where it sort of moved and opened. And then the guys came out. We've talked about that giant logo being the entrance set before, but there's a pivot here and it looks totally different, uh, with the, uh, the backdrop of the stars and all that. But for my money, this is not nearly as cool as the original nitro set that we all sort of remember so fondly. No, and I'm guessing as we see Big Vito now, for those of you that aren't watching along, Big Vito's coming down the aisle, of course, you know, and this is going to be a recurrent comment throughout this entire clusterfuck. Um, Everybody's got a gimmick. Every match is a gimmick match. I think there were really only four matches, if I recall. I didn't really make notes, but the rest of it was all filler and and storytelling in between. But every single – they either had a bat, they had a garbage can, they had a school bus – whatever it was, but everybody came to the ring with a gimmick. And we're seeing that here with Big Vito as he makes his way to the entrance. And, of course, they establish what is supposed to be his sister at ringside because she's going to be coming in at the very end of this to completely screw up any semblance of a finish at the end. He's going to be taking on Johnny the Bull. I don't know why this is the your opener. Of course, years prior, you know, Nitro opened with, Juventud Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. And now it's Johnny, the bull and big Vito. Uh, you can certainly see, um, Russo's influence. And of course, right away, as soon as the bell rings, your very first match has weapons. Uh, they're using, well, it's, it's, it's a gimmick show. match. And yeah. that's one of the things that, you know, people always ask me, why do you hate gimmick matches? Why do you hate gimmick matches? This is a perfect example, a match that has a gimmick match. If it's weapons, if it's a cage, if it's a no DQ match, if, if you know, if it's Judy Bagwell on a pole, I don't care what it is. Whatever it is, there has to be a reason for it. You can't just throw this stuff out there for the sake of throwing it out there and call it a storyline. And and that's what we're that's what you're going to see throughout this entire debacle of, of an of an episode. Is none of it makes any sense. There is no real story behind any of it. And, you know, for Vince Russo or whoever, you know, to call himself a writer, you know, there's no acts, there's no structure, there's no beginning, there's no middle, there's no end, there's no stakes, there's no nothing but chaos for the sake of chaos. And that's how we're opening up the show. Nothing against the two guys doing it. They're going to do what they're being told. Um, they're going to do it to the best of their ability because they want to keep their gig. They're on national television. I get that. I'm not criticizing the talent. But anybody that wants to stand up for Vince Russo and say that he's a great writer or he understands the business, this episode right here will prove that position absolutely incorrect because this is just a mess. It's not just and a- I, by the way, by the way, Conrad, I have produced my own fair share of messes, right. and I understand that, but not an entire show of it. I mean, this that, and that's what this is. There is not one redeeming quality about anything in this show and i defy anybody to try to point one out sold out other, other than major <clears throat> guns sold out <clears throat> um so let's talk a little bit about the mess behind the scenes um it, it's written in the uh, newsletter that johnny ace and kevin nash had a very heated argument uh backstage at nitro 
uh, in the weeks leading up to this. And it's gotten to a point to where Nash is trying to stick up for the boys because I guess things have gotten a little out of hand and the inmates are running the asylum and Johnny Ace is wanting to deliver fines to the boys and the economic cutbacks are starting to happen here and the boys are feeling them, not just in the place of fines, but now they're finding out when they go to check into their hotel rooms that, Hey, that was never in your contract. It was a verbal agreement with Bischoff and he's not here anymore. So now you have to pay for your own hotel rooms on the road. And that's a big change. And it gets a lot of people nervous, especially when they see that Eric Bischoff came to Atlanta on August 29th, allegedly for a meeting with Brad Siegel. And the reason that a lot of guys know that is supposedly some of them are even on your flight back to Atlanta. Were you in August of this year meeting with Brad to the best of your recollection to talk about what a purchase or a buyout might look like? Sure. Absolutely. And it's, and actually I was, uh, I was leaving Phoenix and it was all coincidental. I know Brad, I remember Brad got hot at me about it. He thought I did it intentionally. I didn't book my own flight. Uh, Turner Broadcasting did. So it really was a coincidence, but, uh, Vince Russo and two or three other guys just happened to be on my flight. So they obviously knew I was flying into Atlanta, but there was nothing secret about it. It's not like I was trying to kayfabe it. If I, if I would have been, I would have flown myself. Um, I wouldn't have never uh, allowed Turner Broadcasting to make my reservation uh, because I knew once they did, the word would have gotten out. But, yeah, people knew that uh, I was meeting with Brad. There was already some rumors about me trying to purchase WCW. But like I said, it it wasn't a secret. And I want to go back to something you said. There were no verbal agreements uh, that I made with anybody about paying for the room. There was protocol and, and previously in the past, we did pay for some talents rooms, but not all of them. So the, the idea that all the guys that all of a sudden didn't get their hotels paid for um, realized that because Eric Bischoff made a verbal agreement and he's no longer with the company, um, that was no longer the case. That's not really accurate. Let me ask this. There's, uh, it's in the newsletter around this time that there was a, an airline incident coming in from Tucson, Arizona where a lot of WCW guys are causing quite the commotion to the point where, uh, Mark Marcus Johnson, who a lot of people remember as the referee slick here, got on the planes PA system and joked and everybody's drunk that they're going to be passing out condoms shortly. And allegedly someone else lets off a stink bomb and it gets so out of hand that the airline calls WCW and suggests that they have officials meet them there. And Janie Engel poor Janie has to go down to the airline and try to sort things out. And a lot of the boys put the heat on Dave Penzer. Hold on one second, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But here's an example of, okay, let's have a no-DQ kendo stick match for no real reason. Let's just have one because, oh, man, that'll be hot. People like to see kendo stick matches. That's probably as much storytelling thought uh, as went into this match. So no-DQ match. Kendo sticks, and the match stops with no finish because Vito's sister jumped into the ring. Yeah. Someone explain the phenomenal storytelling technique and ability of Vince Russo when it comes to that finish. By the way, Please. how hard could Vince Russo try to get himself over here and establish himself as a babyface coming out in a Giants jersey? And of course, he's got Borash there in a Yankees jersey. By the, you know, I guess we should mention they're here in Uniondale, New York you know, Staten Island. So they're trying to firmly establish don't boo this man. He's a good guy. 
He's one of us. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit because in, a, in another segment or two, it becomes incoherent as to how they're trying to get heat or get, get each other over. I mean, it's, it's a kaleidoscope of chaos. I want to get back to the Janie Angleday Benzer situation, but if you're Mark Madden right now sitting at the booth trying to get Vince Russo over, do you hate yourself tomorrow morning? Do you want to go home and throw yourself out in front of a bus at a high rate of speed? Do you wish you've never seen the red light of a live television camera after sitting there and trying to put this guy over? You know, what's interesting to me is I guess I'd, and by the way, what a great segment this is with David flair. I can't believe this is real. He just hops out of a Cadillac Escalade with a golden crowbar, pushes a guy away from a payphone, is shouting him down. And now he's going to flip open the phone book. Like it's the movie back to the future. And he's looking for an address. And this is going to be a thread for David flair throughout the entire show. As he's trying to find a certain address, hunting someone down. And we don't know. Exactly and a, who. And it's a thread with no payoff. Yes. Once again, going back to the Janie Angle Dave Penzer situation that you asked about a few minutes ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard about that, you know, and Janie is, you know, she's put up with so much in her career. I still feel bad for, but the idea, I, I mean, you, you pointed out earlier, there was a lot of chaos going on. I'll be honest, after watching this show and and seeing some of the content seeing some of the creative decisions that were allowed to happen here they weren't even creative decisions that's giving them too much credit but seeing some of the things that i've seen here on television in my opinion i wasn't there i have no idea if this is true i'm going to go back and read the wcw nitro book by guy evans and see if i can determine whether or not my my assumption here is correct but to me it feels like the entire company brad siegel you know steve burke joe yuva everybody um, have just given up on this property because there's, it's just completely out of control. And I think that incident probably on the plane was a manifestation of just the lack of caring at that point about WCW. And I think they all knew the handwriting was on the wall when the show was being produced and they really just didn't care. They knew it was going away. Yeah, I don't guess we can stress that enough. We're we're still using Guy Evans' book. What we're seeing right now, for those of you that aren't following along, and even for those that you are, is another you know uh, promo segment. Um, and I have no problem. I never had a problem with great promo segments if they built anticipation for a story or they glued a story together. But in this case, you've got Jeff Jarrett coming out and putting over Vince Russo. You got Scott Steiner, who got beat by Vince Russo the week before, technically. He's coming out and burying the New York audience while he's trying to put Vince Russo over, and Vince Russo is trying to get himself over with the New York audience. Come on. I mean, I don't smoke weed, but I'm thinking about it after watching this. This I mean, it's it's incoherent. Well, and it's not just because it's a Scott Steiner promo, who, by the way, is shouting out, a jet in the audience and blasting him, uh, saying, you know, I made you an all American at Michigan. Uh, and obviously now he plays for the jets and a little bit of foreshadowing maybe for later, but still I'm with you. It doesn't make any sense either. We're trying to get over the, Hey, New York should love us, or we hate everything about New York. It can't be both. 
Well, it was all, it was all three. <laughs> it wasn't just both. It was all three in one segment. And that's what I mean about incoherent and the people. And it's one thing for the audience because the audience is going to react, react to that kind of cheap heat because that's what that was. And, and cheap heat is usually the result of no forethought or no real issue or no real imagination or no real creative or all of the above times two in this case. Here again, you got Vince Russo coming down the aisle in his Giants jersey, kissing the ground that he's walking on, trying to get himself with over with the same audience that Scott Steiner just buried. It's like, what the hell? Well, what do you think of um, Vince Russo walking to the ring with theme music? He's got a second. He's pouring water over his head like a wrestler would in the back before they come out. This is Vince Russo's wet dream. Okay. Vince Russo put himself in in his position. I know this is going to sound like I'm putting myself over and I probably am to a degree, but if you look at, if you try to discern a little bit of logic in this storytelling that's going on here, and I, I, I almost want to throw up in my own mouth for calling it storytelling because it's not, but what Vince Russo is doing is he's, he's looking back to 1996, 1997, 1998. He's, he's looking at, you know, particularly in 97 when, when, you know, or whenever it was, when I became, you know, part of the NWO, I was literally the president of the company, it kind of fit the storyline for better or worse. Some people may have hated it. Some people may have loved it. I'm not here to debate that, but there was at least some logic to it. It was like, if you can't beat them, join them kind of logic, given the overall war between WCW and NWO, that was the premise of the storyline at that time. Then you look at, you know, Mr. McMahon and Steve Austin and the success of that storyline so what you got now in, in 2000 is Vince Russo trying to replicate that success by putting himself in this position. The problem is he's got no real heat. He's not really a babyface. He's tried to get himself over as a babyface at this point along the way in any way that he possibly could. Now he's trying to put himself he, – he, not trying. He has put himself in the main event and has asked everybody in the company to put him over so that he can get over or feel like he is with a New York City audience. And I just think it is you know, a grown man's version of a wet dream and it's really it, – it, it's just sad to see how obvious it is. And the fact that you know some people still talk about you know, how smart this guy is just boggles my mind to this day. I do want to ask you, it came out, uh, in Wade killer's torch that Vince Russo's biweekly meeting with office employees caused quite a commotion on Friday, September 8th. He met with the office staff to sort of do a state of the company address. And at the meeting, he told the employees that it had been difficult to work with Eric Bischoff because this entire time he'd been negotiating to buy the company dating back to like April. Specifically, he's implying that Bischoff doesn't care about television ratings because he was trying to buy the company which insinuates that lower ratings would actually mean a lower sale price. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a -a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. 
and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. What's your reaction to hearing that report? It's absurd. It's absurd. And, and anybody, anybody that with that's slightly objective with a little bit of knowledge of deal making would, would recognize that, you know, the, the value of the company wasn't based on the ratings. That's the first flaw in that nonsense. And I believe that Russo said it. I'm not criticizing Wade's reporting on this, by the way, for once. Um, but there's no logic to it, which it shouldn't surprise anybody because there's never any real logic to anything that Vince Russo does or says. But to suggest, first of all, that it, it, that you know my discussions about buying the company went back to April is a lie. That's just factually incorrect. Those discussions didn't start until long after April, number one. Number two, to suggest that if the ratings went down, we'd get a better sale price is also just factually incorrect. The sale price of the, of the company had nothing to do with what a week-to-week rating might be. Um, the discussions about buying WCW had everything to do with WCW just not wanting to operate it as a unit within Turner Broadcasting, beginning, middle, and an end. Um, the structure of the deal would have made it better for us had we gotten better ratings following an acquisition. So none of that really makes any sense at all, unless, of course, in your own delusional, distorted, fucked up mind, you wanted it to, and then you could go stand in front of people and make stuff up like that. But, you know, Vince, Vince Russo is one of the most dangerous type of liars there are. You know, some people lie just to deceive. Other people lie, and they actually believe their lies, passionately believe their lies, regardless of how insane they may be or the premise of them may be. And Vince Russo is one of those guys. We've seen it over and over and over again with him, not only in WCW, but in TNA and in a lot of the things that he said publicly. He's just – here we go. Another gimmick match. Here we've got – what do we have? Two tag teams, three tag teams. So we've got a battle royal tag team match. Now tell me where the story is here. Maybe more Anybody. than maybe more than that because you've got the natural born thrillers. You've got MIA. You've got the filthy animals. You got three count. Uh, you got the young dragons. Um, you got the Harris boy. I mean, it's just it's a it's a a ton of of tag teams here. And I guess the the winners here get a tag team title shot. But there's no entrance for them. There's really no explanation. And as the filthy animals are making their way out, all of a sudden the guys in the ring go from standing perfectly still to 
shitting and getting. And, uh, and it's, it's just, it's, brother, it's just horrible. I know some people aren't watching this right now, but suffice to say, if you're not following along, if you're driving to work, what I'm going to describe to you right now l- looks like, you know, a dozen or so high school kids fighting over a Twinkie. It makes no sense. There's no logic behind it. There's no story. The action in the ring is horrible, as it usually is in these types of matches. But when you have no story, no buildup, no anticipation, no reason, no logic, and no stakes other than a title match, which is a throwaway, it's a justification. It's not a story. And that's usually the case with Russo or has been in the past. Fortunately, he's not writing anything now. But when he did, his idea of a storyline was simply justifying it passionately to someone who would ask him, why are you doing that? And he'd make shit up. And that's what we see here. This is the manifestation of, of Vince Russo's approach to storytelling. And it's just horrible. The um, Natural Born Thrillers did a huge bill from the inside of the ring to the out. And magically, there's a table for no apparent reason set up in the aisleway. And Hurricane, or I guess Shane Helms at the time, comes crashing through it. And now here comes Chronic. Uh, who had just been told they weren't good enough to be in this match by above stooge, Mike Sanders, not above average, above stooge, whatever that means. And here comes chronic to clear house, even though they're not legally supposed to be in the match. So thankfully WCW security is going to get involved here in a minute and get chronic out of here. I guess it, it no security does. Security does. Mark Madden does a great job of having fun with it. You know, he killed he, he killed whatever logic there was here. He killed the match. He didn't mean to do it, but he did. Um, when he, he says at the end of this match, and WCW security has just won the tag team titles. I mean, it was a smart-ass thing for him to say and a smarky thing for him to say, but, it, but it's the only thing that made any sense to say. I mean, it was so stupid. And it's interesting here, too, is uh, – Ray Mysterio. I love watching Ray. It, it didn't do him any good here. No. What the hell? No, he's just chilling on the outside, waiting on things to develop. And, uh, chronic is just clearing house every which way. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to be in this kaleidoscope of cluster either. Yeah. It's uh it's a deal where the, the security team is going to come in and their solution to sort of handle chronic is mace. And they, st- they just mace both of the guys, which I can't say I've seen a ton in wrestling, but here it is. They mace them and then out they go. I, I do want to mention that Meltzer would write, there was a major push to bring back Scott Hall and have him on the September 4th show because Hall either is, or will be medically cleared to return to the ring in a week or two after his next surgery from February from the Jarrett guitar shot and Sid Powerbomb. That will bump his pay up from $16,000 to $32,000 per week. And the argument right now is why are they paying a guy $32,000 a week to not use him? Supposedly Siegel is against ever bringing Hall back for the obvious reasons. And the feeling is they want to have him do a segment where they call Hall on the phone and people hear his real voice. And the idea is that people would pop huge for it and then expect him back. And then at that point, Siegel would change his mind. Uh, this is, um, Silly. What do you remember hearing about? And obviously you weren't there, but you're close to Scott Hall's situations. And he's been a big part of what you guys were doing in the NWO. $32,000 a week, neck injury. Siegel doesn't want to use him. Can you speak to anything about that? 
I really can't. I mean, I would be doing what I accuse other people of doing if I did. Um, I wasn't there. I didn't have any conversations with Brad about it. I don't know what the discussions were. So for me to pretend I did or to guess would be eh, not what I do. One of the things I noticed about Ray, he doesn't have a mask on. I got a lot of heat for taking Ray's mask off. I can't wait to bust your balls about that one day. One of these days you will, but let's talk about it right now. I wonder why Ray isn't wearing a mask. Why didn't they go back to it? If it was such a bad choice and Ray hated it so much. Now that I'm gone, where's the mask? Oh, this is great. Now, for those of you who aren't watching, this is a critical moment in the match. This is high freaking drama right here. Disco Inferno comes running out with a plastic duck. Yes. And attacks Hoover 2 Guerrero with a plastic duck. Yes. Awesome. And then Conan chases him away. It's the Keeping It 100 show back before it was a show. And the Natural Born Thrillers, Jen Drack and Sean O'Hare, are just having their way with poor Ray Mysterio. But Give me the duck! Give me the duck! I gotta save this match! Give me my goddamn duck! I can just hear that backstage. It's a fun story that they're trying to tell here with Mysterio and the two monsters, but it took a long time to get here. And there was a fucking plastic duck involved for no apparent reason. And Mace. Yes. And this we, is we your second that, match. We, need, we needed that duck badly. If they, if, you, if they wouldn't have come in, if Disco wouldn't have brought that duck to the ring, this match would have not made any sense. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So Jindrak and O'Hare are your world tag team champions. Now, uh, they've, uh, won the titles from this kaleidoscope of fuckery, I believe is the term you used. And, and here's, here's something the best part of the argue. whole show. <laughs> We're watching for those of you who are driving to work in the morning. We're watching Tori Wilson rub baby oil on her legs, getting ready for the bikini contest. And I will say that was the highlight of this show for me. Now what we're seeing, we go from that. And I got to ask me and Gene about this next time I see him. Me and Gene is standing there with a cast of characters from the Howard Stern show. And this is, you've heard the term radio face, right? There's a reason that that term exists. This is horrifying. Oh yeah. This is the, the whack pack. And I got to tell you as a long time Stern listener, I really appreciated that they were here. They obviously had too big of a role, but they've got Hank, the angry drunken dwarf here. We've got crackhead, Bob, high pitch, Eric, Fred, the elephant boy and Beetlejuice and, um, main gene, of course. And I, I think Pamela Paul shock is the lady in the, uh, fur coat. And they're going to be judging a bit of a bikini contest later. And all of these guys are super nervous to be on TV. And well, if you're a Howard Stern fan, they're the whack pack. You already know what that means. And I, my favorite part of this promo, by the way, for those of you that aren't listening or, or can't hear it, Gene opens up the interview with Pamela Paulshock by looking at her like a latch and says, hmm, is that a beaver? <laughs> Meaning that the, 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 the tongue in cheek implication there is what it is. But of course, she's wearing a fur coat. I thought that was very interesting. Kevin Nash walks in now on the whack pack. He looks to be about three foot taller than anyone in the room. Uh, I did find it interesting that as long as I've watched and, and kept up with Howard Stern, I didn't realize he was basically the same height as me and Gene Okerlund. I take it. You're not a big whack pack fan. No, it's not that I'm not a whack pack fan. I think they were probably good in their time in radio 
in on that format. But as you pointed out, they're extremely uncomfortable. The majority of the audience, I know that Howard Stern had a big audience. I'm not saying they didn't have value. Anytime you use celebrities, um, there's a good chance that, you know, you can get some kind of a rub off of them. But I dare say the majority of the audience didn't know who these guys were. And yeah, to, he, to, he to was bring them up it. there and to be that, you know, they're, they're not only fish out of water, you know, they're, they're fish on a rock in the desert. They're <laughs> completely, completely out of their element. And they just look horrible and they sounded horrible and added nothing, absolutely nothing to the segment. Yeah. Obviously he's booking for the New York crowd. Cause that's Howard's home market. They're in New York. He thinks bringing the whack pack out will be big for the live crowd. But to your point nationally, while Howard was syndicated, he wasn't in a ton of markets. Like I don't think he was ever in Alabama. By the way, these these two events touch. You've got the whack pack in the back, and the very next segment is an entrance and in ring promo from the Juggalos, the insane clown posse, who one by one put over the stars of their promotion, Juggalo Championship Wrestling, JCW, with names like Madman Pondo, which I can't believe was actually mentioned on Nitro. Eric, what's your favorite Madman Pondo match? Yeah, I'm going to have to go back in my uh, vast video library and see if I can pull one up. I think I've got a catalog under you for, fuck, I don't know. And by the way, for those of you keeping score, I think this is match number three so far. Let me see. We're into this show for... Oh, we're into it. We're about almost a little over half an hour, right? Yeah, but this is we're talking about half an hour without commercials. It's really much longer. Okay, so let's call it probably close to an hour at this point. And this is the third match, and it's a gimmick match. Another three gimmick matches in a row. Keep in mind, you have a main event of all. Talk about gimmicks of all gimmick matches. You've got your main event, you know, steel cage match, Vince Russo. In, in that match, which defines gimmick match, and now you've had three gimmick matches to open up the show. Let's talk about what's going on right now. That 70s guy, the former Mike Awesome, who was a badass in ECW and came in as a ECW world champion, is now the fat chick thriller, the that 70s guy, and he's driving a bus that would make the Partridge family jealous and stops it just past the ramp. And now he's two on one with the insane clown posse as they take turns, hitting him in the head with road cones and oh, see the mop. there's can. a mop there. There's a broom there. There's a dustpan. Yeah. Those plastic road cones are dangerous. There's a pie pan. You cannot have a gimmick match without a pie pan. You just cannot do it. It's like trying to cook pizza with, without a pizza pan. You cannot have one. And here comes the garbage can. Here's the, another reason why I hate gimmick matches so bad. And I feel bad for, for Mike awesome here, you know, rest his soul. It's impossible for a guy like Mike awesome to look good in a match like this. Yes. Everything he did from the opening physicality of this match, where he grabbed the fire extinguisher and tried to hit one of the the the, the clowns with it, looked like he you know he was trying not to crack an egg with it. There's just nothing you can do to make this garbage look good. It's not a gimmick match; it's a garbage match. So what's going on right now is Mike Awesome and uh, Shaggy Two Dope are on top. And Violent J and Mike Awesome are on the hood. And Violent J does a somersault, somersaults himself through a table. But now Mike Awesome 
and Shaggy Two Dope are on top of the bus. And if you're not familiar with what's about to happen, you should go out of your way to watch it, even if you're not able to do a watch along. Shaggy, or, or yeah, Shaggy's going to try to throw him off. But of course, Mike Awesome stops that, decides he's going to do an awesome bomb on top of the bus. So he picks him up in what looks like Scott Hall's Razor's Edge and gets a running start, slams him on top of the bus. <laughs> Shaggy Two Dope falls off the fucking bus. I got to tell you what, though. Shaggy Two Dog did a nice flat back bump. Uh, right before this, uh, off a punch from Awesome, which set this whole thing up. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, hitting the—I mean, he hit the floor really well. I, I give him Shaggy Two Dog props for that. He took that bump well. He hit the floor like a champ. He looked like he was dead when he hit it. So you know, kudos for that. But this is what the fuck another- is happening right now? You've got one of the the more underrated big men in wrestling out here wrestling two clowns on top of a bus. And he's about to murder one right here. You see it from another angle. Awesome Bob on top. And then he, he just slides right off that new paint job. And look at that he bump. He landed on his head. I like it. I can't believe that's the this only, really happened. That's the only good. That's the only good thing about this thing was th- that, that final bump by Shaggy two Doug. And now for those of you who are driving to work or are at work, um, we're seeing, what is her name? Major Guns? I can't remember yes. her real name. She's a porn She's a porn star, isn't she? Tyleen Buck. She's on Twitter, but don't look that up. Tyleen Buck on Twitter. Yeah, she's a porn star. And, of course, she's her, her handle was Major Guns because there was so much creativity. And now we segue from Ernest the Cat Miller walking down the hallway, whatever that was supposed to achieve. This is real to, life, folks. This is real life. We've got David Flair driving around in a car by himself. But there happens to be a camera there. There's no reason why the camera is there. That's not what's There's interesting no- to me. What's interesting to me is he's pulling up <laughs> in an Escalade and hopping out with a golden crowbar and stomping into a Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know where he'd be doing that, but where I live, he'd have been dead before he got through the door. Can you imagine? Like, the, what's funny is, you know, I, I couldn't help it. I watched this yesterday to sort of do a little prep. And it was first thing, uh, as soon as I woke up, I knew I wanted to watch football. So I said, let me just get this out of the way. Let me watch this. And I text <laughs> David Flair and I said, well, let me find the, the tech. By the way, he's determined to find whoever is hiding in the Chuck E. Cheese. So he's, he's dove into the ball pit and he's slinging balls every which way, which. Yeah. The ball pit is that little thing, you know, like McDonald's has for little kids that go in and play with the balls while their family is eating, you know burgers or whatever in this case pizza or whatever it is but yeah he's he's so nuts he jumps into the ball pit and he's looking through the balls he's digging through balls looking for whoever he's looking for because maybe they're hiding from him in the bottom of the ball pit yeah because they knew he was coming to that pizza joint they heard it they uh, heard that yeah so randomly yep. yesterday i texted him and i said hey so i'm watching a random nitro from 2000 doing a little show prep for a podcast and you just pulled up to a Chuck E. Cheese with a golden crowbar and are digging through the ball pit. And the response I got back from David is, it's too early for me to commit suicide. Please don't text me like this. <laughs> Poor David. I feel bad for him. Although, you know, I got to say, to David's credit, it was a horrible story. It was a horrible setup. They were horrible vignettes. They were ill-conceived. There's no logic to them. But David put his heart into it. I mean, he tried as best he could. I will give him that. You can't knock the talent sometimes for putting them in horrible situations. And like I said, I've done it. I don't want to come off on this, 
podcast, like I'm, you know, like I, everything I've always done has been right because we all know that's not the case. But I don't think I've consecutive, consecutively strung together as much horrifying shit as we're seeing on this show. Eh, sold out. <coughs> no, there's no. I would I would beg to differ. <laughs> No, I know. There this was, is another there, it level. Was, it was horrible, but it wasn't this horrible. Now, I'm not arguing that. This is another level. By the way, it comes out in the in the newsletters around this time that Tank Abbott was asked by management to take singing lessons because the plan is going to be to put him with three count. I can't believe this is real life, but it is. And out comes above Stooge. With a bat, because you can't make an entrance without a weapon. And by the way, if I was Sting right now, I'd be pissed because that was his gimmick. Now everybody's got one. Uh, what do you make of uh, Mike Sanders? Why don't you think he went on to do more in the business? I was always a fan of Mike Sanders' mic work. It feels like he could have been an old school manager and done fine. Well, he could have. He could have been a good manager. You know, they tried to get him over as a wrestler, and that's the problem. Um, he's not a wrestler. He doesn't have the physique or the charisma. It's not even just size. You know, a lot of smaller guys. Look at Juventud Guerrero for crying out loud, or Rey Mysterio in his prime. Um, you don't didn't necessarily have to be six foot six and three hundred pounds to to be a good wrestler, but you have to at least look like one. And I think Mike Sanders in this case just didn't. He looked like the guy that would change your oil in a jiffy loop. And he he did, you know, he, he was good on the mic, but as a wrestler, there was just nothing there. Did you ever hear about the uh Goldberg Evan Courageous? situation before a nitro because it happened in this era and allegedly courageous came over to say hello to everyone as everyone's sort of standing ringside before the doors open and offers to shake hands with Kevin Nash and Goldberg Goldberg sort of dismisses him and quickly things escalate. There's some physicality on Goldberg's side and courageous does not want to accept Goldberg's apology later. And when WCW officials, according to the torch, tried to investigate it, even though Nash was right there, he says he didn't see anything, not wanting to stooge off one of the boys, but apparently Nash rubbed some of the under guy underneath guys the wrong way by not telling the truth about courageous. Do you remember hearing anything about a Goldberg courageous situation before Nitro? No, I, I, I don't. And if I did, I probably would have put it out of my mind. Um, I could see it happening. You know, Bill was look, whenever Bill was unhappy, uncomfortable, uh, with the way things were going on, it was no secret. He wore his emotions on his sleeve. Um, and I'm, I'm sure if that happened, my guess, knowing Bill, uh, the way I knew him then. And I think the way I know him now, um, it, it was probably not meant to be a slight to Evan. He was probably, probably just generally pissed off. And then the incident just happened to, you know, take place. But, um, you know, for Evan not, not to, to, be, to be not willing to accept an apology, then I would say that, you know, part of the heat is on him. Right now you see um, a lot of the young guys doing a run in here to beat up on Ernest the Cat Miller. And, of course, they're being led to the ring by Kevin Nash. And Kevin Nash is sort of calling the shots here as guys like Reno and the natural born thrillers, they all take turns beating up Ernest, the cat Miller. It's really hard to keep up with, uh, what the hell's going on here on this show. Is it not? 
it's hard to keep up with anything that's going on in the show because there's no logic behind it. There's no story behind it. If you listen to the announcers, they're not doing – I mean I'm not, I'm not knocking the announcers here. They have nothing to work with. You know, the announcer's job – you know, Tony's job in this case is to call the action in the ring. Your other two announcers are to add color and credibility to the story. Unfortunately, there's no story here for them to add color or credibility to, so they're all just kind of reacting t- to the cluster. And, uh, you know, I, f- I feel bad for him. They were they were in a horrible position. Scott Hudson is a good announcer. It was. He was in a horrible position here. You know, Madden had to be the quote-unquote heel announcer. So, of course, he had to put this garbage over because that was his job. But he sounds like he sounded like a moron in, in his attempt. Even Bobby Heenan would have just puked uh, at this. And then, you know, you got Gene Oakland who's having a – Good time up here with Pam. What's what's her last name? Paul Shock. Paul Shock. That's right. Yeah, she's uh, fifty years old now. Believe it or not. What, what's her real name? Is that her real name? She married Roger Lodge. Remember that move? That show Blind Date that was on TV forever and ever. Oh yeah, yeah. She's with uh, she's with him. So I guess her real name is Pamela Lodge. Maybe. I wonder where she came from. She had to be like a stripper, or a hooker, or something oh for her gosh. to be in this position. Wow. Well, I don't know uh, where we'll go from there, but I do see the whack pack coming to the uh, ring now and they've lost Hank, the angry drunken dwarf and all the ladies are lined up on the outside. They're about to judge. No, they haven't lost him. He's just filling up his jar with some mezcal in the back. You'll see him. He'll come out. I think. Yeah. He eventually wanders out and stalls the show and, uh, Che waits for him to get in before getting in to disrobe because all the ladies are outside with either a men's button up or some sort of little robe, by the way, Hank, the angry drunken dwarf, no longer with us. Both he and crackhead Bob are now in the whack pack in the sky. Where's Beetlejuice. Oh, he's still around. Is he? Yeah. He's got, he's on Howard Stern all the time and he's got a hit single, uh, beetle in the house. You should check it out. Uh, only, but not when there's kids around, of course, (laughs) something else. Tori Wilson here is 11. This is as roll tide as roll tide gets. I, I got to admit, she's a, she's one of my favorites and you know what? She is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I saw her a couple months ago, um, at a autograph signing. She is just legitimately one of the most down to earth and nicest people that you'll ever meet in the wrestling business. Yeah. Do you ever look at like, look at Hank, the angry drunken dwarf. He's about to fall off the stool in the back. He's barely able to balance himself there the the, the reveals are going to keep coming here the, the ladies are disrobing left and right here and the guys are going to decide who is who's going to win and they're going to do a bit of a vote in order to make that decision they're doing a lot of teasing right now in the ring when you see hacksaw jim duggan out here and he's trying to wrap the american flag around tylene buck so she won't expose the canadian flag yeah my apologies well, isn't it a missed opportunity for him not to say Hey, put this flag on. Don't be a ho. Uh, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> and you know, we were in the middle of talking about ancestry.com, but this is just another example here. You got a guy, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now I've been criticized for bringing him in because he was one of Hogan's friends and he was an ex WWE guy and he was past his prime when I brought him in and all of that. And th- th- that criticism is, um, well-deserved in some, some respects. Uh, I, I can I could have justified it, and I did justify it, but that's neither here nor there. The reason I brought him in, 
and I'm not trying to justify, was because he had this solid audience who reacted to that babyface character. And and he had been well established. Now here is Hacksaw Jim Duggan, well past his prime, and cut off his mullet, looks completely different, abandoned the American flag in the in the Hacksaw Jim Duggan character that had been established for probably 20 years at this point, and now all of a sudden he's a Canadian hero. They're trying to get heat with him. That's really what is. I, I mean, I think. I'm guessing, I may be giving everybody more credit than they really deserve, but I'm guessing the logic here was let's have him turn his back on America and try to get heat with him as this Canadian, remember this Canadian, whatever this cluster was. And it absolutely was horrible. It was a horrible use of Jim. Whether you were a fan of Jim Duggan's or not, this was a horrible use of that. There's just no logic or justification in the world why anybody would think that that would work. Pamela Paulshock has been declared the winner when she, although she wasn't in the contest, she dropped her beaver coat and uh, revealed. She dropped her beaver. A, uh, a, Ouch. Now she's getting her titties slapped. Okay. Ouch. I don't know. What's Who is that? On. That's smacking her in, a, in that, the boobs with that leather thing. That's Kimono Wanalea from ECW. Kimono Wanalea slapping her boobs in the middle of the ring. Ouch. I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> Madeja's out here in her high heels and, uh, she just, Oh, look at this. She body slammed. Body slam. Calm down. How many people can say they got a deep crotch on Kamana Wanalea? (laughs) What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? So, I mean, there was no resistance in the body slam at all. And now it's a one-sided cat fight where the other girl doesn't even know they're supposed to be in a cat fight. And the other girls are standing around. Look at Stern's crew. They're just sitting there going, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. Kimona's gimmicks fell out. So she's tucking them back in. Charles Robinson's in there. So the ladies are safe. And here, and here's a great production sequence. Now you just come out of that cluster, right? You got a cat fight going on. You got tits and ass all over the ring. It's nothing but chaos. They come out to Mike today and Scott Steiner like it never even happened. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> no reaction. Well, there we go. We got Bill Goldberg because he's got heat with Scott Steiner. Okay. Yeah. And Bill Goldberg, who was uh, supposedly out of WCW, is now back. He returned through the crowd earlier, and now he's attacked him from behind. And we come back and now he's got the plastic duck. He's front and center. It's disco inferno. Yo, yo, yo. Let me speak on this mocking Conan, which is kind of fun, but the plastic duck, I don't know what to make of this. He's choking that duck. Well, it's better than choking the chicken, which is what some of those moving up to a duck. The nitro grill is going to close on October 1st, by the way, it was in Las Vegas. It was a steakhouse. Is this in the Eric Bischoff book of bad ideas? Well, this wasn't an Eric Bischoff idea. This was a licensing deal that came to WCW or Turner Broadcasting where they licensed the name Nitro and they used uh, our characters as a theme, but we didn't operate it, manage it, promote it. Well, we did promote it according to our license agreement, but it was horrible. Have you ever eaten? Did you ever eat there? No, I don't think anybody did. Well, no, people did, unfortunately. But it was in one of the worst hotels in Las Vegas. What was the name of that? that it looks like a giant castle. The like Excalibur. This. Oh, my God. It was that 
without question, even back then, I'm sure it still is now, one of the worst hotels on the Strip. I think it's the and, only one where you can actually bring, it's like BYOB. You can just roll in your cooler at Natty Light. It is bad. You know, the rooms are like, you know, $18 a night. I mean, it's just horrible. And the food was the shits. Literally. Horrible. You talk about wanting to need some one-wipe Charlie's. If you would have gone to eat at the Nitro Grill, you definitely would have uh, wanted to roll in with a a good quantity of one-wipe Charlie's because that food was horrible. Now, hang on. Are you... Are you trying to say that you didn't enjoy the big Papa burger or the diamond Dallas burger, the DDB or the gold burger or the broken finger sandwich or the crippler crossface cheesesteak or the face buster fajita sandwich? I walked in there one time because I had to, we were in Vegas and I was obligated to as part of our licensing agreement with them. And I, I think I had a beer. I looked over at somebody's onion rings. I went, oh, no, I am not eating here. So guess what? Bill Goldberg's walking out now in the middle of a Scott Steiner promo. Bill Goldberg's walking down to the ramp. He's got his microphone. Bill's doing a great job doing what Bill does, telling the world how he's going to kick Scott Steiner's ass. But guess what? We make an impromptu match, and guess what kind of match it is? It's a cage match. It's a gimmick match. It's a goddamn gimmick match. We're four for four. Scott. What's with the what's with that what's with that face mask Scott's wearing? He got hit in the face with a rubber baseball bat last week on Nitro. Ah. Uh, well, that'll do it. As the cage drops. Now the cage match, which is a part of the big buildup for the big main event, a cage is something that you're supposed to build anticipation for. Ideally, over the course of months, that's when ideally a cage match really works. You've built a story. There's only one way to settle it. The only way to settle that ma that match between two people who have a personal issue and management has tried to resolve that personal issue in any number of matches leading up to that cage match. But the only way, the only way two people can settle this thing once and for all is to be locked inside of a steel cage where there can only be one winner. No interference, no, no way to escape. You have to settle it one way or the other inside of a steel cage. But instead of having that long buildup in a story, in a rationale, an anticipation, story, anticipation, reality, surprise, and action, instead of having any of the above, we forego all that shit and we have a cage match right before the cage match. Yeah. I'm winded. Phew. It's, uh, it's a crazy time here on Nitro. I want to mention here that Melzerwood report there was a blow up in the office, believe it or not, between Vince Russo and JJ Dillon. And <laughs> it goes down. I like to hear that one. Uh, how about that? Um, Dillon was on the phone talking to someone about the Nitro from September 18th, the week before, saying how stupid it was. The Tigers beat three guys by herself in the elimination match, and how after doing an angle that Russo had brain surgery, he showed up without his head shaved. Apparently Russo was walking by, heard the conversation and blew a gasket. I guess I should mention that they said that the prior week, Vince Russo had brain surgery and yeah. <sighs> That's because he didn't have to have his head shaved. He had to have his ass shaved. If Vince Russo is going to have brain surgery, there was no reason to shave his head. 
Allegedly, Meltzer would report that DDP had asked for his release, but Brad Siegel didn't want to give it to him. And Russo has made it clear to DDP that he only wants him to put over the younger guys, whereas DDP still sort of sees himself in the top spot. Were you talking to Paige about this process where he was expressing to you he'd just rather leave? No, I I, I wasn't, and I'll tell you why I wasn't. Um, you know, Paige being the the positive guy that he's always been under any circumstances, he'd always look for the brightest side of, of any situation and and try to force himself to get through it. You know, the whole Russo thing, you know, Paige actually came to me right after Russo came in and tried to convince me that, you know, we could work together and, you know, to support him and, you know, all of that. And I, I just looked at him and I looked at some of the things that I was seeing on TV and I, you know, I said, Paige, you know, thank you. I appreciate it. But he's a clown and you're going to find that out soon enough. And, you know, one of the things that Russo did, and this is part of his MO or was, was he tried to get himself over with. The boys, the talent. I hate calling them the boys because they're not boys. They're fucking grown men. But he tried to position himself to get support from the talent, from guys on the roster. And people that had been around that knew better, he had a hard time getting their support. You know, he, and he's a charming guy. He can charm the socks off of anybody. You know, he's, he believes his bullshit so much that it's hard sometimes not to feel for him because he's so passionate about it. That's what makes him dangerous or did. Um, but younger guys who have, you know, nothing to lose, who have no real experience and who are benefiting because they, you know, they're getting on national television and they're getting paid. Um, they'll rally around him. And that's one of the things that Russo did so effectively in WCW was push that we need younger guys thing. And the older guys need to put over the younger guys. There's some truth to that. There's a, there's a little bit of truth to that in, in this proper time, in the proper place with a great story, with a great setup. There's nothing wrong with that approach at all but you know to just kind of wholesale let's just trash all the 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 more established talent whether they're older or not let's trash the established talent to put over this younger guys that next generation is was a failed attempt and it's failed over and over and over again which is why you still see to this day you know the proper use of veteran talent established talent popular talent is to use them properly to enhance other talent but you know that wholesale let's just trash all the old guys and get the young guys over was it was a horrible approach by the way as if this wasn't enough to have this match in a cage scott steiner has a lead pipe that he is abusing goldberg with but goldberg has got these magical unicorn powers and they are no match that lead pipe is no match for him when Scott Steiner tries to make the exit from the cage, Jumbo Elliott, the local football player who went to college with Scott, is guarding the door. Goldberg now walks back through, and his man Jumbo opens the door for him. Goldberg is the winner. Talk about anticlimactic. You know, the best part of this match is seeing Bill Goldberg, you know, hugging Jumbo. This was just a horrible, horrible setup. By the way, this is where we are. Goldberg versus Scott Steiner in a cage gets a 2.17. Here's the highlight of the show. Jeff Jarrett walking down the hall. He stops and encounters Beetlejuice from the whack pack, turns around, 
nails him with the guitar. Down goes Beetle. Down goes Beetle. Down goes Beetle. What the fuck are we watching? <gasps> now, Booker now, T. Can you imagine being Booker T here and having to pretend that you're taking this Vince Russo main event seriously? Well, he's trying to keep it together while Paul Shock's got the gimmicks out. Yeah. I'd have a hard time keeping it together myself. Did you do, you said, you know, some of these, you, I mean, you sort of insinuated that she was definitely a stripper or a porn star. Did you recruit her? I didn't insinuate that. It was a question. There's a difference between an insinuation and a question. Well, no, you said she had to be, to be involved in something like that. Well, in this. the context of the question, where did she come from? There was the question, subcontext. She, she, was she a porn star? Was she a stripper? She had to be a porn star or stripper. That was a part of the question. It was That's part right. one, part two. No, I didn't recruit her. She went to Syracuse. Does that surprise you? No, not at all. I think Syracuse, Syracuse should be proud of her. I'm just And saying. I don't know her, by the way. I don't know that she was a porn star or a stripper or a school teacher. No, she's an, or, she's an act. She's been in acting forever. Like Beverly Hills, not a two one Oh, and oh, know, okay. Stuff. Well, she's credible then. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you she's know, actually got talent here comes, you know, this is Hugh Morris, right? Yeah. The, uh, general Hugh G Rection. Yeah. He was, he was Hugh Morris and, and I thought he did a great job as that character. I don't know why they had to gimmick him up with the Hugh G Rection. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing again, wasn't there. Don't know speculating with no substantive input from anybody, but I'm guessing, uh, standards and practices probably went, no, nah, we're not going to do that. So we're going to call him general rection. By the way, the, um, the bikini contest got a 3.11 rating head to head with raw who got a 4.8. If you can't get hot women over that are half naked in the middle of the ring, you know, you know, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Austin stunning Kurt angle got a 5.48 to Goldberg and Steiner steel cage, which got a 2.17. I'm sure Vince had all Vince Russo had all kinds of reasons and excuses for it. I do want to mention that, um, as we see Jeff Jarrett here, taking on huge erection chat me up about Jeff Jarrett. We never really got your take on him as a WCW in ring performer. And I know you've done business with him, uh, in, in other capacities beyond just an in ring wrestler for WCW. But what do you think of him as an in ring performer in WCW? Um, look, I think Jeff, when given the opportunity is probably as good as anybody I know when it comes to ring psychology of, of, of what actually takes place in the ring and telling a story in the ring. I think where Jeff became distracted, diluted, and I don't mean diluted isn't delusional, but I mean watered down is in the creative of, of a lot of the stuff that he was in, especially towards the end at WCW. But in working with, and I know this is not answering the question you're really asking me, but when I worked with, with Jeff and TNA, um, and he was producing matches, you know, with me, um, I, I have to say out of all the people that I worked with and I worked with some good ones, you know, and, and some not so good ones, you know, Terry Taylor, when Terry Taylor's head is on straight, he really, really knows how to lay out a match. And he really, really has the ability to 
get into the psychology of a story if he's giving that if he's given that opportunity. Now, if he has to lay out a seven minute match, you know, with no story behind it, he's as useless as anybody else would be. But given the opportunity, Terry could really um, embrace psychology in a way very few other producers can. Jeff is right there with him or maybe even better. And watching Jeff work with young talent and help, helping other talent figure out how to tell that story. Because it's one thing to have story, you know, whether it's from Vince McMahon or the Vince McMahon's creative or Eric Bischoff or Steven Spielberg or whoever you think is a, is a great writer. Um, it's one thing to have it explained to you or even, you know, laid out to you on paper. It's another thing to translate that story on paper to a story in the ring. Because if the psychology that's that's written within a script, for example, doesn't translate to the ring, it's just horseshit. And when you have the ability to have someone like Jeff who was really, really good, he was taught well, he was trained well, he came up in the business the way you know a lot of guys did in his era, and he really had to understand psychology. When you get somebody like Jeff or Terry Taylor – who can really work with talent and communicate that psychology, it's an amazing thing. And I think that's what Jeff was really best at. When he worked in WCW, he was harnessed with a lot of story that just didn't let him do what he was capable of doing. You know, I'm responsible for some of that. Certainly Vince Russo's responsible for some of that. And by the way, so was Jeff Jarrett because he got a little more too involved in the creative than he possibly should have. And, and I think that actually hurt himself trying to get himself over, but given the right opportunity, the right platform, Jeff Jarrett probably understands psychology and can execute it better than most people I know. So team Canada's out there, Alex Skipper, um, Lance storm, everybody hacksaw Jim Duggan, and they're all taking a beating from sting. Who's clearing house for MIA Chavo, the wall, Lash LaRue. I got to tell you, I know you're probably going to strongly disagree. Two of my most underrated wrestlers of all time, Elix Skipper and Lance Storm. I loved watching their stuff. I mean, you may be right. You know, I think there's an argument that Lance Storm was never really given an opportunity to shine. Um, there's also an argument that says he was, and he just didn't, that he was a very average wrestler. Or excuse me, he was an excellent wrestler with a very average amount of charisma and, and uh, ability to connect to the audience in a way that really registered and mattered. It had nothing to do with his wrestling skill. And he had a great look. And by the way, you know, caveat here, one of Vince Russo's brilliant ideas when he, he heard I was going to be coming back to WCW um, was to make uh, Vince Russo, or excuse me, Lance Storm, my illegitimate son. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Well, hey, that would have given him some personality. <laughs> well, it would have been slightly hard to believe unless, you know, I conceived him when I was nine, but I, um, if, if there's one thing we know about Eric Bischoff is that he's getting it in. I mean, even at your advanced, no, age, this was before blue chew, brother. That, would have been, <laughs> that was way before blue chew. <laughs> I mean, when I was nine, if blue chew would have been around, okay. There might've been enough logic in that premise that somebody might been able to buy it. And I could have actually used blue chew as, you know, the reason why I was able to achieve the unachievable from a biological point of view, but that was way before blue chew, man. I love the uh, finish to this landstorm sting match. We're going to get to in a little bit, but, or one of the transitions rather, but we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute, but 
you bringing up the illegitimate son thing made me think of another parental storyline. Of course, the thread here with David Flair is that he's looking for the father of Stacy's baby. He was supposed to get married a couple of weeks prior uh, to Stacy, and it comes out that she's pregnant. And the big reveal is supposed to be that Ric Flair is the father of Stacy's baby. And allegedly, it was discussed that it would eventually be revealed that Stacy was, in fact, Ric Flair's daughter. He uh, hooked up with her mom one night in the 80s. and So now it's a combination incest. But he didn't know. A little accidental incest action. See, that was Vince Russo. That's because he hated the South. So he had to, he had to create an incest angle with Ric Flair. You really think that's why? It's because he's from the South? No, because because Rousseau is. You heard what Rousseau said at the beginning of this promo. He talked about the incestual relationships of people in the South. That's how he tried to get himself over with the New York audience. And I think probably the reason that he created the potential incest setup between David Flair, Stacey Keeler, and Ric Flair is because that's the way, you know, Vince Rousseau would get heat on himself. By the way, uh, Meltzer would report that Pamela Paulshock was discovered on the beach in a bikini contest, which she went on to win. She's from Baltimore, Maryland, much like Stacy Keebler. Must have been something in the water up there. Um, she I'm was, moving to Baltimore. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm really excited that we're you. And I'm a I, Ravens fan now. Sting gets the win here, one, two, three. But my favorite spot in that match was where he tried to go for a Scorpion Deathlock, and Lance Storm managed to reverse it and put it into a single leg crab, which I thought was pretty fun. I hadn't seen a reversal like that before, and now we're treated to. Um, David Flair pulling up curbside on top of a curb and his Escalade does golden krill bars. He makes the approach to the house. This is and the, the house. camera and the camera just happens to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not watching this, if you're just, if you're driving to work, listening at home, listening to while you're working, be glad, be really, really glad. Cause this is some of the worst acting. And when I say that I'm, I'm recognizing that some of the worst acting any of us have ever seen has been on a wrestling show. Because wrestlers and the people that come on wrestling shows as as uh, supporting cast members sometimes are not actors, but in this particular case, the guy that answers the door, the old man, is without question the worst performer in the history of professional wrestling. I would agree. Beetlejuice looks like an Academy Award winning actor compared to this clown. Where'd they find him? Um, he's probably like a stripper or a porn star. <laughs> They, I'm sure they probably have that kind of fetish old man stuff, but you know, he was horrible. By the way, I do want to mention that, uh, the real reason Steiner was wearing the, um, the face mask is he had a broken orbital bone from a brawl with Goldberg that happened right before fall brawl. Uh, so it is a legit injury, but they explained it on TV by having him hit the face with a bat. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I also want to mention that, uh, Meltzer had an aneurysm about, the cage match between Steiner and Goldberg quote. Can you believe they gave away this cage match without even advertising it in advance or making it the TV main event so much for drawing big money at Starcade? at least when Bischoff gave away Hogan Goldberg, he hyped it to death on thunder beforehand. And it set a record attendance while him passing on what would have been a $7 million match for that on pay-per-view at that point in time. So it's a little dig in there, but it is a backhanded compliment that, Hey, at least you made money with it. And he just gave it away. And it wasn't even the TV main event. 
And ladies and gentlemen, if you're not watching at home, or if you're not watching along over there at home or anywhere else, again, be glad because now we've got Vince Russo with shoulder pads, whatever that gimmick crap is that football players put under their eyes. He's all padded up, and he's he's talking like he's a real wrestler. I mean, he's talking himself up. He's living his wet dream. Yeah, poor, I, poor Gene Oakland. It's just he's. I wish I knew what Gene was thinking at the end of that promo. We've got to get a hold of Mean Gene just to talk about this show because there's so much fuckery on this one. By the way, that promo uh, that Russo just did, he's got a, a full Giants football uniform on, shoulder pads, the helmet, the whole deal, and behind him, what they're doing the promo backdrop with is not the nitro logo or set like you're used to no no it's the islanders logo because he wants everybody at home to know that he's the hometown boy he's here in long island it's just horrible it's just horrible i mean it's just uh okay like i said i'm I'm looking at this and i'm thinking back okay you know you bring up sold out and you know i'm gonna that's something i'm gonna have to live with for the rest of my life unfortunately especially if i keep doing this kind of shit no one is ever gonna let me forget it but i've done a lot of other really stupid stuff you know that that i look back on and you know i i realize now you know what i didn't realize then but i look at this and it's just so obvious that it's not only a bad idea it's a bad idea for a horrible reason you know, sometimes bad ideas just happen because you think they're good ideas and everybody gets in a room and they convince themselves it is. This is a bad idea because, again, this is, you know, Vince Russo living out of fantasy or, as I've said earlier, a wet dream. And that's what this is all about. This is not about logic. It's not about heat. It's not about story. He doesn't have any heat. He's not Vince McMahon. He wasn't Eric Bischoff during the NWO. He doesn't have any heat. Nobody gives a flying fuck about Vince Russo other than Vince Russo. The Nitro book wrote, that's not the WCW viewer. Its audience was downscale and rural skewing. Plus the content was perceived as being lowbrow and juvenile in September, 2000, an analysis of WCW's audience composition revealed that 32% of its fan base were unemployed with 42% of its viewers working in blue collar fields. Of the entire Nitro audience, only 11% completed four years of college. Well, there you go. You get what you pay for. And, and, and you know, compare that to what I know, um, having been through it, what our demographics were back in 96, 97, even in the 98. It painted a much, much different picture. And we lost... A lot of the audience that we had during that period had abandoned WCW. And I'm not going to blame it all on, on Vince here. I, I need to take some of that responsibility for things that we've discussed in the past. But by this time, as we're watching this show uh, in September of 2000, the majority of the audience that advertisers would have found attractive were long gone. And they weren't coming back, particularly when you look at things like this. This stuff was catering to the audience that they had. I mean, it, 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 there was no logic. It made no sense. Nobody was really rooting for anybody. They were just reacting to the chaos that we were seeing on screen. There was no backstory. There was no three-act structure. There was no story, no anticipation, no reality at all, no surprise. 
it was just chaos for the sake of chaos, or as Russo used to like to call it, Crash TV, which was his excuse for not being able to come up with story, anticipation, reality, surprise, or action. To create a story, you have to understand the ingredients that go into a story. You have to understand what a three-act structure really means and what happens to, has to happen. I don't care if you're watching a television commercial, you're reading a book, you're watching a sitcom. Everything happens in a three-act structure. And there's nothing here that resembles that architecture. Nothing. This is just throw shit up against the wall and have fun with it and hope that it sticks. And that's what this is. This is horrible. When I'm looking at Booker T selling Vince Russo right now, I, I mean, I want to kick Vince Russo right in the throat. I do. So the locker room I, I, has emptied I, out and everybody is pulling against Vince Russo. They're all pulling for Booker T and of course, hidden away. What do you know? A baseball bat. It's the 19th time we've had some sort of stick, a pipe, a kendo. We've seen a baseball, a baseball we've had bat. We've seen a baseball bat a half a dozen times on this show already. So this is your main event and the guys are not wanting to let him out. They're holding the door closed. You got Chavo Guerrero there and you've got Mike awesome. And here comes a ladder of all things in a Vince Russo match. I don't mighty honest to God. This guy deserves a throat punch. He really does. This is horrible. You know, I wonder if Booker T right now is wishing he was at the nitro grill having a, a, a Booker T bone. I bet you if he was watching this right now, or he, he would have much preferred being ill from eating at the nitro grill and being in a, locked in a restroom than being in this match. This is, this is your main event. Ladies and gentlemen on nitro Vince Russo gets himself over with the hometown crowd by getting the rub from the Islanders, the giants, the jets, every piece of talent he can convince in a locker room to put him over and your three announcers. Check this out. So he's climbing the, the ladder and he's going to try to punch through a section of the cage that looks like it's been rigged up for him so he can ease out of this thing and escape. And as he starts to make his way up there. What do you know? The guys are climbing up all over and Mike awesome is on top of the cage trying to keep him in, but we're not done. Let's do something else. Sting is going to repel down from the roof like he used to. And he's on top of the cage realizing that he's just stolen stings thunder. Mike awesome eases back down. Ah. <laughs> uh. This is comedy. This is pure comedy. Russo has said that he won the title because his style of writing was based on unpredictability. And he said he <laughs> felt it would draw a rating because he's not a wrestler and it'd be a train wreck. So he felt people would tune in to see it. He said, if Booker, he said, if Booker beat him, then what's there to tune in to see next week. But if he won now, they got to ask where are they going with this? What's he going to say? And he felt like him winning would give people a reason to tune in next week. <laughs> he says, the real question is how am I going to get killed, but still win the match? Cause he wasn't <laughs> going to beat Booker. So how could he win? And that's when Goldberg would come in and we're going to see that momentarily. And I guess we should mention that Russo says he met earlier in the day with Goldberg and told him he had a concussion and he had been hit in the head twice after that. And he told Bill Goldberg to take care of him and Goldberg said he would. 
and he put him through the middle of the cage, right between the two barricades. And of course, what happened during the match is Vincent Goldberg dropped him on the back of his head into the barricade. And Russo says that he did it on purpose because Bill always had a huge problem with him and he didn't want to lose a match. And that's what Russo wanted him to do. Uh, of course, Bill has denied ever intentionally hurting Vince Russo. He should have, should have throat punched him. In your opinion, you know, and you didn't do either. Well, you know, we'll talk about it another time, but what's worse Russo winning the world title or David Arquette winning the world title Russo is as horrible as the Arquette decision was. There was a reason for it. We're promoting a Warner brothers movie. Ready to rumble was coming out. It was a big budget movie marketing at time. Warner Warner brothers wanted it to happen. We wanted the movie to be successful in our misjudgment. Um, we, we misjudged just how much the audience would react to it in an adverse way, but at least there was a fucking reason for it. There's no reason for this. There's no logic to this. This is Vince Russo's wet dream. The beginning, the middle and the end of that. That's as close to Vince Russo is ever going to get to a three act structure and a storyline. The beginning and the middle and the end of this main event wet dream. It is, um, it's just hard to imagine this really happened. It's not, if you know him, I mean, if you've ever sat and listened to him, try to explain a story or in his case, justify one, it's not hard. This guy, you know, and he, you know, he'll use terminology, which, you know, will lead some people who aren't in the business to believe he actually knows what he's talking about, but he doesn't. He really, really, ne- he never has. It's not that he doesn't now. It's that he never has. Here comes and another the twist. You, the, go ahead. Another twist. The EMTs are here to check and they open the gate. And one of the EMTs is Ric Flair in disguise. So Flair is back after having had his head shaved by Vince Russo. And, uh, he's looking to extract some revenge, dressing up as an EMT and sneaking into the cage. Cause that's what happens in cage matches. So now we've got Booker and Rick helping, uh, Russo live out his fantasies. Oh, well, it's unbelievable to me that this is the way. And of course the locker room clears out. Here comes all the Russo cronies, the natural born thrillers. They're here. And they're doing battle with MIA and Mike awesome and everybody. It's just chaos outside of the cage right now. Because chaos camouflages lack of story. I'm so sick of hearing myself say this, but I can't help but say it here. This, this, this episode right here is a perfect illustration of everything that Vince Russo was ever capable of. I don't care what credit he wants to take for being the brains behind the attitude era and being Vince McMahon's right-hand man and the rest of the horseshit that he's perpetrated, you know, and anybody that'll listen this show when he had complete control is a perfect example of the creative abilities or lack thereof 
of Vince Russo. And anybody that that believes this guy for a second was capable of a good idea just needs to watch the show. And, and by the way, before you do, go find a book called Writing for Dummies. Spend about 20 minutes with that and then watch the show. I don't even know if there is a book called Writing for Dummies, I'm but there sure. should be. Somebody should send it to Vince. In your opinion, do you think that Russo, uh, and by the way, as Booker T is able to just walk right out, he decides not to because he hears Goldberg's theme music and Goldberg is going to jog down the ramp in his Harley Davidson jacket. And instead of just walking out and winning the match, which he could have very easily done, he welcomes Goldberg in. And now Goldberg is here to, ex- to extract some revenge on Vince Russo. And before Booker T can leave Scott Steiner holding the gate closed again. Yep. And there it is the spear through the cage and Russo hits his head on the barricade, but technically Russo was the first man out of the cage, but I don't think Booker T has realized that they exchange high fives. But technically Vince Russo is your world champion now because he was the first person to escape, even though it was based on a Goldberg spear tune in next week. They said, yeah, you know, we started this, this podcast out by me apologizing to Jamie Kellner and Brad Siegel. And the reason for that is if I would have been Jamie Kellner or anybody else in the, in the. AOL Time Warner food chain that would have had any influence over decision. I would have not wanted this direct on my network either. I would have done everything I possibly could to undermine the deal that Fusion Media and I had with Turner Broadcasting because our, our deal called for not only was it $67 million, but it also called for 10 years of distribution of the product on TNT and on TBS. Um, Nitro and Thunder, respectively. And if I would have been Jamie Kellner and I would have been watching this or hearing about this or listening to other executives complaining about this or looking at the demographics of this audience as a result of this kind of shit that we just saw, I would have tried to do everything I could to blow that deal up to. So as much as I resented Jamie Kellner for so long for t- just literally snatching that deal out from underneath us after having spent a year you know, doing it, spending almost a million dollars in due diligence, making the announcement on Wall Street and everything else that we did only to have that deal you know, completely snatched out from underneath us at the last minute, almost literally, I don't blame him. I would have done the same thing. Because this was – who would want this on your network? If you've got TNT or you've got even TBS at that time, and I say even because TBS wasn't necessarily known for its highbrow programming. But TNT was. It was the, it was the, the patina network for, for Turner Broadcasting. They had high-end movies, big-budget movies with big stars. How in the hell could you ever go to a star's agent and say, look, we're going to have you on the same network as this? Nobody in their right mind would want to do business with TNT. So I don't blame them now. After seeing this show, I don't blame anybody, Brad Siegel, Jamie Kellner, or anybody else for putting in a bullet in that deal. Because in their minds, this is what you know wrestling represented. And nobody, nobody should have wanted it on their network. What we want on our network next week 
is a good topic and we're bringing you something totally different from this week. We're going to revisit Rowdy Roddy Piper in world championship wrestling. He is at E Bischoff. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.